There we are. Hello everyone, and hopefully you are enjoying our cold chain event here, and welcome to Freightonomics, the cold chain event version. I'm Zach Strickland, Director of Freight Market Intelligence here at Freightways, and with me as always, Anthony Smith, Lead Economist. Uh, and on this show, if you are not familiar, we discuss uh, the freight markets and combine them into the macroeconomic environment and talk a lot of data, but we'll also bring a lot of context to the data. And uh, on today's show, obviously the topic will be cold chain and what is happening around the COVID environment and the pandemic and how it's influenced things. We're gonna have a special guest, Dr. Zach Rogers here on in just a few minutes uh, to discuss what he's seen. Of course, Zach Rogers, the uh, one of the de lead developers of the Logistics Managers Index, and he's gonna give us some insights into what he has heard and seen in that environment and world. But up first, you know, Anthony, uh, you know, just to get things kicked off, we do tend to talk about the freight markets a little bit, and reefer, the reefer markets have been extremely active this yeah. fall. Uh, typically, a lot of people think about reefer as you know refrigerated trailers, temperature controlled. Uh, call them what you will, as you know a summertime activity, but actually, uh, it is a year-round event. As things get cold, things need to be warmed up too in the winter, but they need to have a certain specific temperature range. And right now, we are seeing reefer rejections going through the roof. Reefer mania, as yeah. some have called it, where we see a roughly about 45% of the freight uh, that is getting uh, pushed out by the shippers right now on the reefer side are being rejected. So again, an extremely tight time for the reefer market. That's in comparison to roughly around 24% to their van counterparts. So right. the reefer market's extremely uh, hot, to make a pun, yeah. <laughs> right now. And so, you know, one of the things that we are looking for leading in, you know, the pandemic has really created a, a new world order, if you will, for a, a lot of these grocery warehouses. And, you know, it's caused a lot of supply chains to shift here over the last little bit. Uh, so some of the things that we will be discussing here in a little while is, you know, we're going to have a vaccine coming out. That's going to have a disruptive impact to a lot of the capacity that is moving throughout the, uh, the United States and also internationally, obviously. Uh, and the story of the day today, if anybody has been checking out their freightwaves.com, uh, is about the, we, will we really need 8,000 jumbo jets to transport COVID vaccines? That is significant. <laughs> I mean, we're looking at just the logistics of the vaccine and the impact it's gonna have on the economy and the overall, yeah. well, the country and the world. I mean, uh, 8,000. I mean, yeah. I mean, some people have even mentioned, if you check this article out by uh, Eric Coolidge, our uh, air cargo editorial uh, person, we, uh, you know, some people have estimated roughly 15,000 will be needed to supply the 9 billion vaccines that are supposed to be needed uh, here over the next year or so to, uh, to make everybody appropriately protected. And, you know, a lot of this is going to get transported on trucks. Yeah. You know, it's good, but it's going to have to maintain a certain temperature. It's not necessarily that it's got to be uh, super cold. But it's some of there's a lot of uh, things that they have not figured out about the vaccine yet, about what type of temperature uh, range it's going to be able to uh, handle because yeah. they haven't developed it yet. Right. And there's dry ice involvement, a very interesting article. Uh, and again, it will be interesting to see just what you know, the next little bit uh, does for a lot of, uh, you know, especially as capacity in the overall environment has been extremely tight over the last bit. Right, right. I mean, the other thing is I'm really looking forward to at least seeing these 
jets being in motion or just being active because it seems like there's the airline uh, has been, just been decimated of, with COVID and travel and everything like that. So interested to see what airlines position themselves um, properly in order to be um, taking advantage of this current situation. Yeah, I mean, the airlines obviously could use uh, any kind of boost that they can get. Right. A lot of them, especially United, here in the United States has transitioned a lot of their uh, capacity to air cargo transportation uh, before people have uh, come back. But we're going to take a short break uh, here for a little bit, so stay tuned to that. And when we return, uh, we will have Dr. Zach Rogers uh, that will give us the insights that we need into uh, what he's seen and overall logistics supply chain management. And welcome back, everybody. So up first, we're going to get to talk to Dr. Zach Rogers uh, of Colorado State University. Uh, of course, uh, you know, for those of you that have viewed before, uh, we have had him on numerous times to discuss what's going on with the Logistics Managers Index, as he is one of the primary contributors uh, and developers of this. So let's bring him on. Dr. Rogers, hello and welcome. Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Just great. How's the temperature in uh, Colorado? Well, we're alternating between pretty cold and being on fire, so it's not a lot of gray area. <laughs> right, yeah. Y'all have not been strangers to wildfires uh, this year, unfortunately, either. So, uh, Dr. Rogers, let us, uh, you know, for those of uh, our audience that may not have watched Freightonomics before, give us a quick intro to yourself and uh, the Logistics Managers Index. Okay, well, first of all, welcome, everybody, to the number one logistics economic show in the world. Uh, and so the Logistics Managers Index is something uh, that myself and a few other professors at different schools put together. And what we do is we go out and we talk to you know a few hundred uh, supply chain professionals, director level and above, so they get the big picture, uh, every month. And we say inventory, transportation, warehousing going up, you know, prices and capacity, are they going up? Are they going down? Are they staying the same? And we come up with a, a change index. And essentially, any number above 50 means we're seeing growth. So increase in prices, increase in warehouse utilization. Any number below 50 means that we're seeing contraction. Okay, And so we do this uh, every month, and we've done it for four years. Um, this month, we saw a lot of growth, actually, in the logistics industry. We're up uh, in, in the mid-60s, which is a place that we haven't been since late 2018. And a lot of it is driven by tightness, relevant to, to, to the, the reefer conference here. A lot of it is driven by tightness in warehousing and transportation capacity. It's really hard to find <coughs> uh, a truck or a warehouse, and especially a refrigerated one, and especially for downstream, uh, downstream firms. Yeah, so you know, we, we've discussed the LMI really starting to take off over the last couple of months. Transportation capacity tightening, warehouse capacity tightening, warehouse prices increasing, transportation prices increasing. Um, you know, that trend has continued uh, probably since what May June. Is that accurate? Yeah. So uh, essentially, what happened with say transportation is we saw a big dip in April, right when sort of everything locked down, we weren't moving anything at all. And since then, it's, it's been going up like a rocket. I mean, if we look at, uh, so again, remember, anything below 50 means shrinkage, anything above 50 means growth. So if we look at April, it was a 37.7. So extreme contraction for transportation prices. It was easy to get a truck in April. If we look today, it's 87.9. So it's bumped up a full 50 points in like six months, which is crazy. And, and this is, is similar to what we saw in 2018, 
but it's different now because of capacity that has been removed since late 2018. I mean, all of you guys remember late 2019, early 2020, oh, this carrier is shutting down. These three PLs aren't here anymore. And so we sort of built capacity up when we had the, the good times in 2018, and then we let capacity go. And now it came back way quicker than we thought it would. And so people are sort of scrambling to, to find trucks, essentially, to, to move things around, and especially, especially downstream. So capacity, right? Um, is for overall as a 23 this month, the lowest rating we've had in any metric in the four years we've been doing this. And for downstream, so consumer-facing firms like grocery stores or something like that, it's a 16. It's essentially, it's, it, there's, no, there's no transportation available. We've never seen numbers like this before. And it's being driven by a couple things. Rise in e-commerce would be one. You know, we're not going to the stores much anymore. And also a real, real tightness uh, in, in, honestly, uh, refrigeration. And Zach, you mentioned some of those downstream impacts. Do you think food delivery services as well are, are being uh, tightening up, help tightening up this uh, reefer market right now? In some ways, yes. Uh, but a lot of food delivery, uh, I mean, if you mean like an Uber Eats kind of thing or something like that, I mean, a lot of that is sort of offline cars and, and things like that that might not necessarily be uh, refrigerated. What, what is driving it up, though, in terms of food, is that grocery stores have really shifted away from JIT. Um, so, you know, when, when you teach just-in-time inventory in a class, you talk about grocery stores because there's usually such a quick turnover. You know, they, you know they'll, the Safeway distribution center in Denver empties out, the, they turn over their full produce warehouse every three and a half days or every four days, basically. So, I mean, the turns are incredible. We've moved away from that because of the trends that we've seen with COVID. So if you guys remember in April, March, when everybody was rushing out, one, there was there was a run on meat and a shortage in meat because so many meat packing plants went down. Like I think 12,000 meat uh, packing plant workers had it in the first two months. So we had a, a big shortage there. And also people turned away from like fresh vegetables to frozen vegetables because we didn't want to keep going back to the store and things like that. And so grocery stores have had to move from, you know, we turn things over every week or I think for Kroger for the whole thing, including like dry goods, like four weeks, they turn everything over. Now we saw people storing up turkeys in like June for Thanksgiving <laughs> because they're so worried about, you know, the, the, the next spike may be coming back. And it seems like we're sort of trending up again in the fall and, and the winter and, uh, and, and so people are going to have another rush looking for meat and frozen stuff. And, and as Zach uh, Strickland and I were talking about earlier, no one is going to skip Thanksgiving. We will skip a lot of things, but, but everyone <laughs> is going to have a turkey this year. And so uh, it's actually become a big problem. Now, one of the things about turkeys that is different, in a normal year, people like an 18, 20-pound turkey because we're all, we're all here at grandma's house. This year, it's like 10, 12 pounds or what people think uh, you know, the demand is going to be because we're going to have more smaller Thanksgiving celebrations. So we need more turkeys and smaller turkeys. But you know, we already grew all the big ones. And so those are sitting in storage somewhere. So it's really just things are moving so quickly. Grocery stores are having to have way more inventory on hand than normal. And it's just crushing um, you know, the, the cold chain in terms of storage and, and transportation. 
Yeah, I mean, nobody's skipping food here in America if they can get to it, that's for sure. Um, you know, you mentioned that they're switching away from this just-in-time environment for grocery warehousing, which obviously makes a lot of sense for something that has a uh, small shelf life. How are they dealing with spoilage? And is that increasing, or is that is there some other alternative uh, that they're that they're having to deal with now that they didn't have before COVID? So one of the things they're doing is they're moving away from uh, to a smaller percentage of goods that can spoil. And so we're seeing grocery stores shift more from like, you know, fresh broccoli to like canned broccoli or frozen broccoli. Now they're, they're running into some, some hard ceilings on that canned vegetables right now are, it's like a finding a four leaf clover for a grocery store. They're, they're, they're nowhere. They can't find canned vegetables anywhere. Um, and so they're trying to move away because obviously, yeah, I mean, berries or, or anything like that that's going to spoil in a few days. There's nothing you can really do about that. Um, but so they're trying to move more towards let, let's find things that, that can last, that, that can hang around for a while. Yeah. So, you know, how has this impacted the fresh produce? I mean, the produce season in the transportation market is one of the, uh, you know, I don't want to call it a holiday event, but it is certainly one that uh, drives a lot of capacity tightness throughout the year, especially in the summer months out of California. Uh, has, have we seen any decline in demand for the fresh produce or has the, you know, the consumer behavior really uh, kept that in line as they're going to the grocery store more instead of going to the restaurants for the uh, more of the manufactured right. processed food. Right. So it, it's a weird tension because people are going to the grocery store more, right? I mean, grocery stores have been having a great time uh, <laughs> through this, but at the same time, they're, what they're buying is slightly different. So okay. they're buying more frozen stuff, more canned things. Um, so the, the overall demand for, for vegetables may be fairly similar, but it's just because everything is up. If you look at it as a ratio to what people are buying, it, it's lower than it has been uh, than it has been before. Yeah, and, and you saw right. I mean, we saw in the summer farmers like destroying fields of squash and stuff like that, <laughs> which um, is insane. And, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but it was partly because there was no one to pick it, right? So we right. couldn't have people come pick it, and so we, the the supply of a lot of this we ended up throwing away or, or whatever, and so. Um, but supply was down uh, anyway in some, for some crops going into, going into this uh, fall. Yeah, we saw a lot of that similarity in the in the meat producers as well. Correct, like they had to they had to kill off like a whole like uh, you know crew of oh, yeah. like hogs and 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 beef and things like that because they just didn't have the you know they didn't have the the space available to keep them. They had this huge glut uh, yep. and not enough people to process it. Right. So meat, you know, that it's, it's a quick supply chain, you know, your big, your Cargill's, Tyson's, JPS, they're not necessarily set up to store tons and tons of meat. It needs to go through quickly. The other thing is, is they're set up so that the chickens have to be like a certain size to be, to go through the plant. Like once a chicken or a hog gets too big, then it, it can't go through the plant anymore. And so it has to be like at a certain weight, like once like a hog or something, once it gets over like 250 pounds or 200 pounds, I mean, it depends on the plant, but it, it can't go through. Cows, ironically, you can actually slow roll a little bit. Like you can back the cows off and get them on some sort of Atkins situation where they're going to like gain weight slower. And so you can, so we didn't have as many of that, as much of that with cows because you can slow cows down the growth rate, but hogs and chickens, it's, it's a lot harder to do. Plus, like I said before, 12,000 meat packing workers had got COVID in the first three months. And so we had, you know, supply dip down like crazy. Uh, and because we'd, you know, I mean, it's like a clock, right? If one gear gets taken out of the clock, the whole thing doesn't work anymore. 
So, Zach, we've been covering a lot of domestic activity. Do you think there's going to be any kind of international um, tensions at play when we're looking at the cold chain? Sure. Yeah, I do. Now, where we're really going to run into issues internationally, and it's, it's like you guys were talking uh, in the first segment about the, uh, the jumbo jets thing and the vaccines. You know, the vaccine distribution is going to be so challenging. You know, the Moderna one, I think the Pfizer drug, they have to be stored at like minus 94 degrees Fahrenheit, which is really, really, minus 94 degrees Fahrenheit. What's absolute zero, negative 270 or something like that? (laughs) It's pretty, it's it's chilly. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I think the Johnson Johnson one could maybe be like negative uh, four or something, but so, but they're really, really cold. And so think about, you know, I was reading the article. It's like, oh, we've got to put a lot of dry ice on the planes. It's like, well, maybe something else, too. I mean, <laughs> so we got to transport this across, you know, to Europe or Africa or South America or wherever. And then the other issue is going to be distribution. So in the U.S., we're, we're fortunate in that we have uh, a pretty robust, pretty developed cold chain infrastructure. Think about those somewhere like, like a third world country. You know, I mean, we don't have, I mean, some of those places don't even really have good highways, much less uh, a ton of reefer capacity in terms of trucks and stuff. So distribution uh, of this vaccine, you know, I mean, everyone right now is really focused on, okay, let's get the vaccine. Can we get it made? But distributing it is going to be a real challenge, especially when we think uh, internationally, places like Africa, South America, Asia, Middle East, it's going to be really, really tough. Yeah, that's going to definitely have, uh, they're, they're probably going to have to cut off some of those distances. The people are going to have to come to the vaccine. And, you know, in America, we're used to having things come to us more often, mm-hmm. for sure. But, you know, I think you're making a good point because the vaccine itself is probably going to demand a lot of capacity, but it's not necessarily going to take up a lot of those 53 footers that we normally talk about here uh, on Freightonomics. Right. Is that accurate? I think you're right about that. I, I think it'll be, you know, smaller and, and, and it depends, I mean, how we're going to do it. You know, I mean, I, I really don't know, is it going to be vaccine centers or we're just going to ship a bunch to CVS or doctor's offices? I, I mean, I, and, and honestly, I don't think that we know yet. I, I don't know what the most effective way is going to be to, to get this to folks. I, you're right, though. We're not going to be putting them on 53 footers, you know, with pallets and pallets going all over the place. It's going to be, I think, a much more of a sort of micro targeting uh, with the way we transport these around. Yeah. The, uh, you know, do you think that there's going to be, you know, some permanent changes to the, to the supply chain, especially in the cold chain environment after all of the pandemic shakes out? Uh, we still have the presence, as Anthony mentioned, of international tensions uh, with China on the trade front. Do you think yep. that there's going to be anything that persists after the pandemic kind of eases its, its grip on the country? Oh, sure. I mean, I, I really think that we're going to look back at, at the logistics industry as before COVID and after COVID. Um, now, we, all these changes might not, may not stick around, but I think quite a few of them probably will. I mean, look at the way that, um, I mean, just it's even taking the cold piece out of it, you know, uh, e-commerce is up 40, 45% as a percentage of, of retail. That's not going to go away. You know, e-commerce had been kind of growing like this, and now it's like this. And so, and same with like grocery delivery and things like that. Nobody was, I mean, not a lot of people were ordering groceries on their phone, and now everybody's ordering groceries on their phone. And so consumers have uh, have learned, I think, that there's a lot of convenience, right? We, we've had to use these other systems that maybe, 
And, you know, I think some people already were, but maybe like, you know, your parents, your grandparents weren't necessarily using these. Now they are. I don't know why they would stop using these. And so I think we're going to continue to see a real tightness in capacity and a real shift, honestly. You know, we, we've, we've already been moving from sort of brick and mortar retail to, to more of an e-commerce thing. Right. And, and not just just for, for uh, you know, retail, but all services we've been moving towards towards digital. And a lot of that sort of digital infrastructure requires a logistics infrastructure to, to support it. And so things like warehouses, trucks, being being able to move inventory around really quickly and really agilely, that's going to keep going up. And I think, you know, we're going to see a real shift in employment, like where people work is going to move from sort of retail service sectors to more logistics type jobs. Uh, and, and not just, you know, the people driving trucks and working in the warehouses, but a lot more analytics is going to have to come into this as well. Um, so I, I think that, you know, really what COVID did, if we think about the logistics industry, is we were moving in one direction already. And then COVID like put rocket boosters on the back and just sped up, you know, maybe we skipped ahead five or 10 years from where we should, you know, the pace we should have been. It's like we just, you know, went through a wormhole or something. And now we're, we're you know, five years down the road. And Zach, you just mentioned it, um, talking about warehousing, looking at warehousing right now, especially downstream, um, do you see or hear anything from your respondents in regards to potentially competing for different warehouse spacing? I mean, you know, as you just mentioned, kind of getting closer to, to move inventory strategically throughout different locations. Um, harkening back to my previous comment with meal deliveries, not so much Uber Eats, but more like um, uh, Blue Apron and things like that, that actually oh, give sure, full meals. Um, so do you see anything specifically on, on your end, maybe more around warehousing um, that would be impacted oh, in sure. the near term now? Yeah. So warehousing capacity in September was a 43. And we've been mostly in the 40s. We hit 50.5 once during COVID. That's our high water mark is, is not moving, basically. But so we, we've been in contraction ever since COVID started. And, and prices, on the other hand, are, are in the 70s. And the reason for that is because, like we said earlier, we're, we're moving more stuff forward, like Blue Apron, regular retail, all kinds of stuff. And, and people are really competing over the same space. And the space they're competing over is more expensive space. I, I know I've told the story on, on this show before that the warehouse I used to work in for Amazon, I had to drive past like wild bulls on the road to get there because it was out in the desert in the middle of nowhere. They don't build warehouses like that anymore. Now the warehouses are like in the suburbs of Denver. Uh, there's one... 10 minutes down the road from me, they're near population centers. So we can get people stuff within, you know, a day or same, you know, next day, same day, whatever. And those are the spaces that everyone's competing for. So not only do we not have enough warehouses, it's harder for us to build warehouses, the warehouse people want, because they're in urban areas. That's, that's more difficult to do than, you know, out in the middle of the desert or the plains or wherever. And those warehouses are more expensive because it's, you know, more valuable real estate. And so we see all kinds of cross pressures right now on companies. They're competing for these warehouses, but it's really hard for them to find them. And, and, and one of the things that's, that's so interesting that we actually see a lot of people doing is come up with, you know, new solutions like rail cars we're using for, for, for storage now. You know, it's, it's cheaper to just go rent out a train than, than have a warehouse. And also we're seeing a big impact, uh, uptick in like shared uh, sharing platforms. So on-demand uh, warehouse space. I mean, I think Walmart this year is going to have like a ton of, of basically shared space from companies like Flex or something. So essentially, we're building up our, our, our warehouse capacity just for the holiday season. So if, for those of uh, listeners who aren't familiar with, with Flex, 
Um, that's the kind of, it's like Airbnb for warehouses, basically where, okay, you have some space in the winter that you're not using. Maybe you, you sell, you know, summer stuff or whatever. So I'll, I'll lease space inside your warehouse. And we're increasingly seeing people turn to that because there's not enough buildings for everyone to have their own building. And so a lot of companies that we talk to are moving from thinking about warehousing as, uh, is this warehouse occupied? Yes or no. Cause occupancy rates everywhere, like 90% and more towards is the warehouse utilized or not? Because someone might be in the building. But if they're only using half of it, then maybe we can lease through one of these sharing platforms, lease some space in there. And this is especially, especially true for our downstream, uh, our downstream respondents. You know, overall, warehousing uh, utilization in September was a 71, which is pretty high. But for downstream uh, respondents, it was a 78, whereas for upstream, it was only 65. So consumer-facing companies are basically scrambling for any square foot they can find in a warehouse right now. Yeah. And that's probably going to, do you anticipate some of these things having an impact on prices, obviously, as warehouse space and rent increases uh, due to the competitive environment? So right now we're not seeing a ton of it get priced in. Uh, and that's partly because, I mean, you know, there's so much competition right now and, 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 and the, the giant behind all of this, right. For retail is Amazon, right? Because Amazon has their own networks. And so they're not going to raise prices just because they're building more warehouses. Amazon has, has shown us for 20 years that they don't care if they lose money shipping you something. They, they, they'll, they'll make it up, you know, providing uh, server space for, right. for the company you work at. They don't, they don't care. And so it's hard right now for retailers and, and grocery and all that to really raise prices too much because of all of this competition. So at the moment, we haven't seen uh, the the price of logistics really impact the consumer too much. Right. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about the food and beverage side. Uh, there's obviously more of there's more to the cold chain uh, than just food and beverage. The industrial sector's really been slow to get going throughout the pandemic. Do you foresee some sort of, you know, maybe disruption down the road uh, as the industrial sector starts to come back on? You know, there's a lot of hazardous materials. Obviously, we've talked about the vaccine. There's other things like that that really haven't been moving lately, like chemicals. Do you think that they're going to start competing for some of that space, making it even tighter here into 2021? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. And, and that's been the, the thing that's really, I think, you know, when, when people talk about the recovery, I remember in, in the summer, we were on here debating if it was going to be a V or a U, and it's a K, right? Some stuff is going up, some stuff is going back down. And industrial is, is sort of on the bottom uh, slant, I guess, of, uh, of that K. It's not going to stay there forever, though. Uh, you know, the, the stimulus really only helped downstream, you know, re, you know, consumers, things like that. It, we haven't really been helping industrial. And honestly, we've been in an industrial slump since last year. We were in an industrial slumping before COVID hit. And we're just seeing that slump continue because uh, of the trade war and all kinds of right. stuff that was going on. Right. Um, so it's not going to stay slumped forever, though, uh, especially I think if we do see additional stimulus. And if we see, you know, trade regulations change and, and a lot of this, I mean, who knows it, the election will probably have a big impact on how quickly industrial comes back with tariffs and all kinds of stuff like that. If it does come, I mean, when it does come back though, there will be competition. I mean, they're going, like you just said, they're going to need cold storage. They're going to need shipping. They're going to need warehousing. And so right now, you know, retail and, and, you know, services and everything have kind of had had the house to themselves and, but mom and dad are coming back at some point, you know? And so industrial <laughs> is going to take up a lot of space. 
And how we're able to figure that out, I'm really interested to see. I mean, you know, we're talking about all these numbers, all these really tight numbers, you know, 16 for transportation. And these are the numbers from September, right? These aren't the numbers from November. (laughs) These are the numbers from September. So I don't even know if we have enough space for what's going on right now. I mean, we're going to, and you you have seen, you know, I mean, Amazon had Prime Day in October because they're freaked out about what's going to happen on Christmas Eve and Cyber Monday. So they're trying to spread this out as much as they can. Uh, But I mean, right now, the way it is, we do not have uh, enough, even with, you know, 10 million people not having jobs right now, we just do not have enough logistics capacity to keep up with consumer demand. Well, thank you for that, Zach. We are, you know, we've only got a few seconds left. And, uh, you know, thanks for all the insight there. Uh, You know, we are going to stay live throughout the day. Uh, We're going to have What the Truck and Dooner coming up here in a little bit. Uh, But again, a lot of interesting stuff from Dr. Zach Rogers. Anthony, real quick, we always end with a debate topic real fast. Favorite Halloween movie, go. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. It's, I mean, okay, it's hocus pocus. Everybody Maybe knows that. No. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Zach? I like, it probably no one even knows this movie. It's called Spaced Invaders. It's about these aliens who invade this little town on Halloween. Nice. I like yeah. that. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. Enjoy the event. All right, good to see you guys. When am I going to get a blue shirt so I can match it? <laughs> we'll send you a, a special edition.